We welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor. Challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. So the idea of all this that we do and bring to you free of charge is so that in, we hope one way or the other that somebody can pick one thing and go and transact and ask yourself, ask God, what does it mean for worship to be my natural response to God? What does it mean when we say worship is a state of being and the expression of that state of being? We said worship is active. The opposite of active is passive or dormant. Worship is active. So worship involves a doing and not just a thinking or a feeling, right? This is a concept of worship that should help you. So when you come to respond to God, which should come naturally because worship is your natural response to every revelation of God, right? And I said last week, very crucially, that if you go and check scripture, Genesis to Revelation, every time man encountered God, remember that? His natural response was worship. Remember that? Don't forget that. Go and check. Every time man, from Samson's father, Mano, to Abraham, or when he was Abraham, to Noah, right down, man's natural response to God is worship. All through. And it's not surprising because the atmosphere of heaven is worship. So worship is the essence of man. The essence of man is fellowship with God. I've talked about that all the time. Um, so we said to worship correctly is to understand correctly. And worship is a function of understanding, right? And then we now got into the question of why do we worship? And then we went through that and we said the first and foremost reason why we worship is because God is, right? Hebrews eleven six. But without faith, it is impossible to walk with God and please him. And notice it doesn't say it is impossible to work for God. It's just impossible to walk. Remember that from last week? I said your working for God doesn't equate to your walking with God, right? Without faith, it is impossible. It's good to see you, Didier. Welcome back. Yeah. All my married ladies are coming back. Yes, praise God. We have to we have to start decongesting that back seat very soon. Because Grace now has felt comfortable hiding in the corner. Yeah. And my, I'm keeping my eyes on all of you. Can we see? Can we just turn to the back seat and say hi? Wait, am I in the more sessions? I said turn to the back and say hi. What's wrong with you? Oh, look at that. <laughs> what happened to these people? You know when the guy woke up and said an enemy has done this. <laughs> I went men's left. <laughs> he came and changed the more members and brought strangers. <laughs> God punish the devil. Praise God. Okay, so without faith, it is impossible to please God, but then now comes to God must know that He is, God exists. And that led us here. We worship because God is, and then how do we know that He is? And that's what we left off. That's what we're continuing today. How do we know 
that God is. So we did say, how can you speak to an unbeliever and how to and, and to an atheist and to a Jehovah's Witness or whatever? But the thrust of it was, how do you know for yourself that God exists? Because your worship of Him, your walk with Him, your work for Him is at the level of your consciousness of Him. You hear what I said? You cannot connect with God beyond your consciousness of Him. A lot of us are connecting with a concept of God that has been sold to us by church. We're connecting with God and one thing I've realized is that church in most instances infers that you know God. I, how many of you got the message I said this was going to be deep tonight? Some people are saying, are thinking, it's not, it's this more session is not about worship. What's all this talking and preaching? That's the problem we have. That's why there's worship without power. And that's why there's worship with power without change. Because God can flow in the room, but not flow in you. Did you hear what I said? You can come into an area saturated with his presence and not carry any of it. Because your sensitivities are deadened to his presence. Moses had to wear a veil when he came out of God's presence. The Israelites said, you know what, just, just, just stay there, just cover yourself and hear him speak and tell us what he said. John the Revelator fell on his face as though dead when he encountered God. And then we come to his presence and we say, I had a great time, I was blessed. Service was powerful today. It was very powerful today. That man was such a great man of God. And we don't think about what Jesus meant when he says you worship, you know not what. He didn't say you are not worshipping. He said you are worshipping but you have no idea what you worship. So we can sing all the songs. Jesus said, he actually quoting Isaiah that says, um, oh, maybe I should read that scripture. It's going to distract me. No, it's legal. Quoting the scripture in Isaiah that says that these people come near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In chapter 1 of Isaiah, he, I wish I could read it, but let's, let's not go there because we don't, we don't have time. He says, away with the noise. Away with the meetings. Please put it up. Put it up. The message. Put the message. I, I don't feel like some people here are ready tonight. I feel like some people just came to church. I don't know where some people showed up here from. Um, but I mind the more sessions. <laughs> I'm not convinced. Yeah, post the slide if you can. And go to Isaiah chapter 1 from verse 12-ish. I served a pastor once who always said something. He said, if God will help a man, he will send him his word. 
stuck in my head. You know how I was telling you that truths come and you find something and latch onto it? Yeah? If I don't remember anything he ever said, I stuck in my head. If God will help a man, he will send you a word. He will send you his word. When you come before me, whoever gave you the idea of acting like this, running here and there, doing this and that, all this share, it's not on here. Help us tonight, Lord. This video came late. We started the meeting by praying for a few minutes and asking God to help us to see him. That's how we started. Help us to see you. Whoever gave you the idea that acting, acting like this, running here and there, doing this and that, all the share promotion, the place provided for worship. Go on. Walk with me quickly in my hour 13. Quit your worship charades. I can't stand your trivial religious games. Monthly conferences, weekly sabbaths, special meetings. Haven't you wondered how they stay by the special grace of God? I've always wondered what grace of God is special and what grace is not special. What is the regular grace? Special meetings, meetings, meetings. I can't stand one more. Next. Meetings for this, meetings for that. I hate them. God is saying, you've worn me out and I'm sick of your religion, religion, religion. Stay on 14 and go back to, the, to my presentation. God was writing to his people. God was speaking to his people. Not to unbelievers, not to strangers. And so we delude ourselves that we are as effective as, as how busy we are in church. Itinerant ministers, some of you don't begin to feel anointed until you start getting invitations. Hello? Ah, that sister, she's anointed though. She's always busy ministering here. Talk, talk to me now. Ah, brother, yeah, very anointed. They're calling her. The, 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 the demand on her is very high. So we're running around, we want to be busy, we want to be itinerant. So tonight, we're not here to do all that noise. If you cannot answer this question for yourself, then really, it's not by force to be a Christian. <laughs> God draws everyone to himself, right? John 6. Jesus said, no one comments to the Father except the Father draws him. No one comments to me except the Father draws him. So God has drawn everybody to himself. However... That drawing that God did necessitates a response on your part to it. Hello? You hear what I said? It calls you to a place. Now, when God's. Ah, Pav. God help me tonight. The word for draw, when he says no one comes except God draws him, right? Is the Greek word hysterios. Which means literally to pull to oneself. Right? It's the same word that was used when uh, and Jesus told them, cast your nets on the other side. And it, and it was full, right? And the net was breaking. And they had to hysterious the net in. Do you understand what I mean? So when, when it says draw, it's not draw as though you had a part to play in it. 
So nobody is saved because of what you did. You are saved because of what he did. You had no part to play in getting saved. Because the word suggests, oh, there's people here. <laughs> good evening. It's good to see you. How you doing? You know, we always forget that this part of the church is existing. Auntie, where have you been? Akasi. Praise God. Omana, I saw you this afternoon, Mara. It was you, right? Walking and chilling, just loving Jesus. Daniel, you're here early. Oh, my kid. Good to see you, sir. Thanks. <laughs> So the word connotes that you had nothing, you're pulled. So God does the pulling. Let me kill one more myth before. Is this helping anybody already? Let me kill one more myth. We sing a lot as worship. How many of you lead worship in church? Praise worship or you're in the choir. Lift your hands. My hands are up. Come on. You're denying your ministry now. Can you see your life? No, trust me. I'm not about to shoot you. Come on. What do you protect me for? The Lord rebuke you. Ah, what? When I'm now, I'm now some headmaster or something. Lift your hands if you see your church job. How many of you have heard or used this phrase? Jesus, lift up Jesus, everybody. The Bible says, if I be lifted up. How many of you have used it? Come on, lift your hands. Be, be a Christian. And you know that phrase has got nothing to do with worship. You can't, you can't lift, you know, the picture that comes to our minds when we hear, if I, the son of man, be lifted up, is that picture of a footballer scoring a goal, and then everybody runs, and lift him up, lift him up. So you think Jesus, you are kind, Jesus, bum bum, lift him up, Jesus, lift him up, Jesus, bouncing Jesus, pass him up, pass him on, pass him on, pass him on, pass him on, lift him high. Isn't that the picture we have? But that scripture had nothing to do with praise and worship. He was saying, just as the Son of Man, as he said, if the Son of Man be lifted up, so he will draw all men unto himself. He says, just as Moses lifted up the serpents in the wilderness, so also the Son of Man ought to be lifted up. So he was talking about until if the Son of Man is lifted and crucified, no one can come to the Father. But if I, the Son of Man, I am lifted up by that act of redemption, I will draw men. It wasn't if you praise me, raise my bum bum, I will draw men. He doesn't need what you have to do to do what he has to do. It doesn't. So we have all these notions as worship leaders, as musicians, as Worshippers of whom everybody is. Everybody is. But we have to come to that point where we understand whom we worship. Otherwise everything we're doing is senseless. It is out of the abundance of your understanding or revelation of the reality of God that you can minister him to somebody who doesn't know him. Do you understand? When you come and you met, how many of you leave worship again? Yeah, okay. This is worship dynamics, right? 
believe me, men and brethren, if you met God in your room and brought him to church, worship will be different. The reason why you are afraid of worshiping on your own is because the tangibility of God's existence is not real in your life yet. Some people cannot worship until they are singing with band and music and choir. Talk to me. That is the case because on their own, they do not come, they have not come into the understanding of who God is for themselves. Do you understand? It's easy for us to do it together. Some people cannot pray on their own because after five minutes, you feel like they've hit the block. True or false? You feel, you feel like. But when we're together, of course, I'm not taking away the place of corporate energy. There's place of corporate grace that is released when we connect together, right? But most times, we have no understanding of God for ourselves. But if you're a worship leader, and you're supposed to lead a choir song, and you stay with God until you find Him, for you to even stay with God is to believe that He exists. And for Him to be real in your life, enough for you to stay until He shows. I mean, think of what Moses saying in Exodus 33. God will help me with this thing. God will help me with Exodus 33, don't go there. He says, if your presence will not go with us, don't take us from here. Then he says, well, how will they know that we are different? How? God said, I will send my angel. Moses said, I don't want angel. Is the angel that took us out of Egypt? Was the angel that parted the Red Sea? Angel. But you and I would have been, well, imagine you going to school and there's this angel following you. How many of you would like that? Oh, I would. I would. I would go to some places. <laughs> you know, with my angel. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> and guess what? Moses said, that's too cheap. Moses has had a physical pillar of fire. Charlie, not the, not the fire you are praying for and saying, Holy Ghost fire, Holy Ghost fire. We're talking live. Do you understand? Live. The fire was so big that it drew a line between an army and six million people. Some people don't, don't stretch their imaginations when they read the word. Do you understand what I'm saying? That was a lot of fire. <laughs> that you couldn't circumvent to get to the Israelites. And that fire shone that bright by night. Imagine for how many hundreds of miles you could see such a fire. And then by day, they had a massive cloud sat by day. Where the cloud stopped, they stopped. The cloud moved, they moved. And Moses said, show me your presence. You have fire. You have cloud. And we are sat here playing church. And then God had to promise. God, in verse 32, he was about to kill Israelites completely. And make a nation out of Moses alone. Remember? Moses, Moses died because he was, he was trying overtly to be the Messiah of Israel. 
He was a good pastor, but, but God, it cost him his life. Do you know how many times Moses was a go-between when God wanted to come? And, do you know how many times? What a man. Let me wipe these people. And God says, okay, all right, all right. My presence will go with you. You would think that now Moses has fire. Moses has clouds. Moses has presence. Of course, he always had power. And just, just in case you don't know, there's a difference between the power of God and the presence of God. Some people demonstrate the power but carry no presence. Now he had the presence of God. And you would think that more will be satisfied. He went, okay, so now I have cloud, I have fire, I have presence, now give me the glory. Show me your glory was his next request. In the same conversation. And this was a man who by our standards did not have the Holy Spirit. Talk to me now. Grace as it is referred to in the, in the Old Testament doesn't carry the same soteriology, the same... Somebody help me. Theologians. Connotation. Yeah? That it does in the New Testament. So when it says, Noah found grace. If Noah sinned, he could have died still. So grace was seen as the covering of God favoring the life of a man. It wasn't saving in its nature. Do you understand? And he says, show me your glory. And then, God responds. What did Moses ask to see? The glory of God. God responds and says, no man can see my face and live. Uncle, what did Moses ask to see? No. There's no translation that says, Moses asked to see the face of God. Moses said, show me your glory. Go and check all the translations. God responds and says, no man can see my face. Did Moses ask to see God's face? Moses said, show me your glory. And God says, you can't see my face. Thus implying, therefore, that God's glory was synonymous with his identity. Because we identify who you are by what you look like. Am I in the more session? I saw someone like you today. I'm sure it was you, by the way. Because you're married, wasn't you? Like about four-ish. Are you checking there? You didn't have first words. <laughs> but if I say I saw someone like you, by what parameters am I saying that? Because I saw someone that looked like you. Make sense? Facial recognition. Right? So Moses says, show me your glory. And God says, you can't see my face. You can't see my identity. You can't handle what I look like. That tells us that God's glory is his face. God's glory is his identity. God's glory is his essence. So to encounter the glory of God is to encounter the fullness of who God is. Am I in the most sessions today? 
So Moses says, God says rather, you will not see my face, but I will hide you in the cleft of the rock and I will make my goodness pass by you. And you, okay, you've gone there. <laughs> I'll make my goodness pass by you and you will see my back and live because you cannot see my face and live. That's why Paul, oh, Holy, oh, Holy Spirit, Jesus. Is this helping anybody? I don't know why I got here. Let me finish this just to help somebody. Stay there, stay there. Um, Exodus. So God hides Moses in the church of the rock and passes by. And for those of you that think, and I used to think like that, that worship is what God cannot do for himself. How many of you have heard that before? How many of you have said that before? I have. How many of you have? Please, I need this. I need it on this screen. I'm going to blow somebody's mind right now. Oh, God cannot worship himself. God cannot praise himself. Who told you? You, you are in his image, so whatever you can do, you can do because he can do. Did you hear what I just said right now, Christians? Whatever ability you have springs from the likeness of God that he imputed to you. Hello? Next verse. 24. Go on, next verse. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Keep going. I'll tell you when to stop. Verse after verse. Okay. No, go back. Go back. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and Look for other translations. I love it. The Lord descended, God descended in the cloud and took up his position there besides him and called out to the name. Look for another one, just humorous, humorous. Look for another translation. God showed up, there was no congregation. No band, no singers, no babies. And God worshipped himself. Why, wouldn't, why can't he worship himself if he could swear to himself? And seeing that he found no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself saying in blessing. Now bless you. So you understand oh, what Paul now meant. He says, seeing Christ, let his man be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who? Thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Christ knew he was God, but he downplayed it to suffer himself to death on the cross. How else can you explain scriptures like the Lord said to my Lord? God <laughs> came and worshipped himself and made his goodness pass by. Somebody once asked, What did Moses see? I will help you. Read the next verse. The Lord passed by him and proclaimed. This is God still worshipping himself, right? And what did God say? The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious. Who is speaking? About who? To who? 
Not to Moses. The Lord, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Next verse. God is still worshiping himself. Keeping mercy for thousands. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin and that will by no means clear. Visiting the blah, 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 blah. Third and fourth generation. Go on. And Moses made haste and bowed. His natural response to God's presence was worship, right? Worship, Moses bowed because worship was taking place that he had nothing to do with. And worshipped. Next verse. And he said, if I have not found grace in that sight, let my Lord go among us, blah, blah, blah. Let us tell the story. Who wrote the book of Genesis? Look up. Take me back to my slide. Who wrote the book of Exodus? Who wrote about the birth of Moses? How did he know? Where did he get the revelation? He saw the back of God. When Moses saw the back of God, he saw eternity past. God said, I cannot show you my face because it is eternity to come. If you see eternity to come, you become like me. You have to die and come home. So I will show you what I have been about. I will show you eternity past. I will show you my goodness. I will show you what I've been about. So Moses could come out and write Genesis because he saw the back of God. He saw where God had been coming from. So Moses could take his pen and write in the beginning, God. Before we talk created, in the beginning, that already begins to answer the question about the existence of God. In the beginning, God. And he goes on to write the chronicles of the creation of man and the earth. How do we know that God really exists? So that when you worship, you worship, you know what? Until we can answer this question for ourselves, quit all the noise, stop the guitars, stop the band sets, stop the pianos, stop the singing, just, just stop the noise already. Stop it already. I told us to think about it and come with answers or contemplations this week of what you found out. Most we understand that our approach to him is different. When you approach him to worship, you're approaching a God that is real. God told them, sanctify yourselves. Men, don't sleep with your wives. Wives, don't sleep with your husbands. Purify the camp. I am coming to meet you. I'm descending on Mount Sinai. And when God started to attempt to begin to try to descend, the Israelites ran. They said, Mo, you go and collect and bring for us. <laughs> and God wants to do much more. Because one of the scriptures that scares the life out of me Blows my mind the most. is Hebrews 11. When he calls the heroes of faith, right? Lists them. And towards the end, he says, All these died not having attained the promise. All of them died looking for a city. Whose builder and founder is God. All of them died 
hoping to experience what you and I are experiencing. And the Bible says that it, it takes us together with them for them to be complete. Do you understand what that scripture means? That Moses and Abraham and Sarah are not complete in faith without what you are enjoying. Because they yearn for what you have. Do you know what you have? By faith, Sarah herself, when she was past age, brought forth food because she counted him faithful. And these people were looking forward to what you had. In other words, they were hoping and praying that they will be kept alive to enjoy a life on this side of the cross. Did somebody, oh my God, am I in the more sessions? That they were, they will be on this side of the cross. That's why one of the women in the bridge between the old and the new refused to die. Bring that Jesus baby to the temple. I will see him with my eyes. I'm not dying. Her name was Anna the prophetess. She kept her death on hold until her eyes beheld him. And she left. And we are here. And we're the reason he came in our dispensation. And we don't know him. We can't worship him. Our hearts can be broken to him. We can't live for him because we cannot establish his tangibility in our life. We know his words, but we don't know the word. We know the graphic, the written word. Don't forget the Bible says the letter, the graphic, kill it. But the spirit, the ruach of God gives life. How do we know that God exists? Alright, so so please let's make uh, um, welcome Pastor Onye Ochi. You know, Pab was asking whether he's in more session. He didn't know that his exam fever that is gripping us. <laughs> so that you don't laugh too much or talk too much. Pab will say, come and answer it. <laughs> Praise God. Um, for me, I want to start from a personal point of view. Um, like the book of First Peter says, how do you, if somebody asks you, you should be ready to defend your faith. For me, the first thing is that God is relational. Which means that we can relate with him as we can relate with just any person. And as a Christian, until we get to that point where we have a relationship with God, where we can relate with him one-on-one, -on -one, we are yet to start. That's the first thing. So if you really want to know if God exists, you need to seek to develop a relationship with him. On a personal level, not on what you have heard or what anybody says to you. So, that's the first point. We need to, God is relational, that's what it is. You can have a discussion with him, he can tell you things, he can tell you things to come, he can tell you things to do about your problems. And so, if you need to convince somebody, you can, you know, just say, God, what do I say to this person? And he tells you something that when you say to that person, he just cannot dispute it because it's a fact. That's the first one. 
Then, secondly, he will talk about um, moving away from the personal aspect. The Bible is a book of history. Things that happened in the Bible, the things recorded in, in the Bible have been proven over time. Scientifically, by archaeologists and all of that. There are places that existed that have been known and proven that they exi existed, like Babylon and every other city that you can talk about. And every event that has happened, there has been proof that they happened. And again, the Bible was written over 1,500 years. Most of those people never met themselves, especially in the Old Testament. But their predictions don't contradict themselves. And those predictions have all come to pass. It's not in dispute. Isaiah said Jesus will be born, and he was born. And there is nobody on earth who disputes the birth of Jesus. All the dispute is, is he the son of God or is he not the son of God? And so that's why the Western world has their year, you know, named B.C. or A.D., which is after the death of Jesus or before, you know. So that in, its, in itself is a proof that God exists. Then, um, you talk about science, the Big Bang and all of that. What caused the Big Bang? Science has not been able to agree on what caused the Big Bang. There has to be something that caused the Big Bang. It's not just um, there was a Big Bang from where. And why have we not had another Big Bang since then? You know, so um, it, is, it is proven scientifically that there is a supernatural force. Probably they may not want to call it God. But it is agreed that the way the planet functions, you know, everything is in order. 24 hours, day will come, night will come, rainy season will come, winter will come, summer will come. None misses itself. It's so perfect. And the only explanation to it is that there is something that ordered it and makes it to keep that order. What is that? Then again, you know, you, you say science. Science does not invent. You know, it's a precision subject. But it has never been, a, been said that science invented. They only discover. Discovery. That's what they call the things that science, you know, find out. They are not inventions. It's only God that can really invent. We can only discover the things that are already invented. The law of gravity, the law of force, the law of motion, and all of those things. They are all discoveries. Even the inventions of aeroplane and all of that, they all come from, you know, natural laws, and they build on that. And so, um, if the atheist says there is no God, why is he struggling? Like he said, why is he struggling to disprove? Some people say God does not exist, but when they are talking, they say, you know, I just had this feeling. Some prefer to say it's voice of, consci voice of conscience or something. That's God. But they just don't want to admit it and say it is God, so that it won't be that they have admitted it. And, you know, I hope with these few points of mind. You have been able to convince and not confuse us that there is God. Oh. Come and appreciate Pastor Mrs. Okay, we're making progress, aren't we? We're making progress. Don't forget that scripture I showed you, First, First Peter 3.15. Always having a readiness to give an answer to those that ask you on questions concerning your faith. Okay, so a few more minutes. That was very good. She did well for time, didn't she? Yeah, yeah. Like her husband, amen? Praise God, yes. It runs in the family. Okay, so another response. Um, let's make welcome. Oh, God help us with this one, Pastor Elvis. It is working. 
I have to stand here by the side. Good evening, everyone. It's fun, isn't it? It's fun to write on exams. You you know the answer. Does it happen to you sometimes? <laughs> okay. Um. Let Let me start from where she stopped. The big bang. Uh, let's be true to ourselves. As a young person growing up, I, I started reading a lot. I, I almost became an, evolution, an evolutionist because I, I believed a lot in philosophy. But until God showed me the Big Bang in the Bible. So the Big Bang theory is actually correct. I, I'll tell you what I mean by that. How many of you remember when Jesus Christ said that I saw him fall like lightning? When did he fall like lightning? When? Now, let, let's talk. When? When? You know, you ask me a question, which one do I believe? The pre-Adamic or the post-Adamic? I, 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 the Bible said in, in the book of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, and God created the heavens. The heavens shall admire him. The heavens. Not the heaven. Your your, your King James translated that, I want to believe it's an error, heaven. But it is the heavens. Meaning you have this, you have the outer space, you now have the other where God resides. But the Bible said, and, the, and the, I saw him fall like lightning. I want to help me give me, Joe, we need to understand this. Remember what the Bible said in Isaiah chapter 14? And the devil said, I'm going to ascend into heaven, I'm going to exalt my throne to match that of God. And what happened? He was cast down into the earth and he fell like lightning and hit the earth. That's the big bang. I will explain it to you. I know what I'm saying. The Bible said, um, Job, uh, he made all the stars, the beer. No, go, go back a bit. Go back. Go back. I know it is so of a truth, but how should man be just with God next? If he will contend with, what are you doing to me? Go down, go down. Go down. Alright, let's, let's look at this. He said, which did what? Is this past tense or present? When did he do it? He removed the mountains and did what? And they know not. Which did what? In his word, and the earth became void. Do you get that now? Do you get it? I told you. If you can, if you are, if you don't engage your intellect, oh you're not going God. to be a very good Christian. Help us, Jesus. Can you go back? <laughs> he removes the mountain. God, he removes the mountain, and they do not do what. No, when he overturns them, the mountains didn't know where the devil was coming. He was being sent what as lightning into the earth. Oh, go on. It says, and he shakes what. The earth out of what and the earth became void. Go on. 
and he commands the sun and it does not rise, let there be light. It was the one that said, permit. Creative word does not use the word let. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I go on saying. I'm trying to use the scripture to prove creation for you that God is, I'm not trying to say from experiential knowledge. That's not my point because if I use my experiential knowledge, it's subjective. I want to use what is to prove to you what you should know. The next one says, He alone separate out the heavens and thread. Now, uh, the Bible said, and the earth was without form and the spirit was hovering upon the face of the deep. It's a funny thing that we re- we read our scriptures, we read it out of sync. You read it out of sync. I, I, I was telling them, it's true that embryology, because the basis upon which evolution was traced is embryology. I'm like, em- evolution is actually true to me. If it is not true, we won't find it. I'm not saying that you evolve from ape. Because the, the true evolution doesn't say you evolve from ape. They bring it down to embryology. What is embryology? That's the formation state of... Now, the formation of zygote, there is a state that every, every creation of God that is alive looks the same. Now, when they look at it, if this one looks like... If a fish looks like a bird at a level of... of embryology, and this one looks like, that means man evolved from this. Now, what I say that, if all of them look the same at this level, I want to believe they came from the same source. And most of the time, you have to think outside what they have made us to think. And that is why man will never evolve into something else. Because it was done, and let the earth bring forth beings afterwards its kind. And let the waters bring forth beings afterward. Its kind. Now the last point I want to make is I had a bad experience while I was in the university. The two courses that drove me crazy was biochemistry and pharmacology. Listen. In the aspect of evangelism what's the context within which we evangelize? Eh? <laughs> okay, what drives you to evangelize the Spirit of God? You know, the Bible says, as many as are led by the Spirit. So, evangelism is more spiritual than mechanical. That's the first point we must establish. Um, now, you're a doctor, right? Why do you prescribe a different drug for typhoid and prescribe another one? For malaria. The causes are different. I want to establish something. Look at what God told me. Let's take all human beings on the face of the earth as diseases. I said, let's take analogy. And let's say that God will give them his drug. I guess what I'm saying. What it means that I won't give malarial drug to typhoid. 
That's what we do when we go out to evangelize. Someone is typhoid. You carry malaria drug. You want to cure it. What's going to happen? The same time we do what? Persist. Now what God told me in, in, in part of biochemistry is I, I love cellular biochemistry. I, I wanted to be a um, 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 I wanted to go and do my master's in biotechnology and then do my PhD in molecular biology. And God said, well, that's not what I told you to do. Now, the principle is this. The surface of your cell has what we call gates. That every drug that enters your body has a specific you call it receptors that that drug must do what? Go and what? Attach. And when it attaches, it sends a signal that causes what you call a conformational change that transduces a reaction. That your body will now re re recognize that, okay, something has come into this body. That's how it is. When we go out to evangelize, the question you should be asking yourself, who is this person? Peter was called to the Jews because he was a traditional man. Paul was called to the Gentiles because he was a philosopher. Do you understand? Because the dichotomy in the scripture is God to the traditional people and God to the wise men. So it was impossible for Peter to be psycho and to be philosophical. It is practically impossible. So now God looked at him and said, if I allow these Jews, they are going to mess me up. He now went and brought Paul, who was taught at the feet of who? Gamelia, who was a, a high-ranking law guy that taught them classical Greek. Go and read your Bible, you understand what I'm saying? So Paul, when he went to the, the uh, he went to Athens, he realized that the drugs these people need is philosophy. Are you with me? He didn't go there to begin to tell them that Jesus Christ died for you. No. He understood that what drug that will cure these guys were what? Philosophy. And not just philosophy, but a little, a little, um, a, a concomitant of religion. You know, there was a blend of both philosophy and religion. And he looked at them. He saw the God of this. He saw the God of that. And God was so merciful to him. And he now saw an unknown God. What did he do? I have caught them. That God I'm talking to you about is the one unknown God. But was that the unknown God in its true sense? It's just that for him to say that he needed to open them up because that's what they presented to him. You know, the, 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 the basis upon which we are Christians, before I bring it to your personal experience, and on the first instance, God understands that you're a wise person. John Zones. He created you wise. So God cannot bypass your reason to just come and tell you I am God and you are set. Go and read your Bible. Every intelligent man that met God proved it. Go and read your Bible. I don't know how you... I, one of the questions I stood there, I said, I wanted to ask all of you, how did you get born again? If I thought you knew you were born again. How do you know you're born again? Can you explain to me the mechanism of action of your salvation? I can explain mine. I'm serious. You see, that's the problem we're having. People who are born again, in quotes, without an experience... Of rebirth and regeneration of the spirit. That's why we have to engineer you to do a lot of things in church. Because your spirit man is not renewed. More like the Roman church. Be transformed. Imagine 
Christian, you're not teaching them, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you prove that what, which is good, acceptable and perfect will of God. Brother, are you, are you getting what I'm saying? So to me, I don't preach the same message to everybody I meet. Jesus Christ said something to Nicodemus that blew my mind. He told them, the life of a Christian is like a wind that blows. No man can predict it. He said, you can't tell where it is going. How come I can predict you? That means you're not born again. Uh, you have to go and ask God for forgiveness and be born. Maybe, sir, we'll do another one. I'll get you born again again. Thank you, sir. <laughs> can we appreciate Pastor Elvis? <laughs> I know some of you probably only heard words like born again, you know, and what else? Um, evolution, malaria, typhoid, and drugs. Diseases. All of some of you will go away and say, "Can you imagine that pastor said all of us are diseases? All of us are infirmities." But remember how I started the meeting? I said God drops truth. Remember, In different forms, and somebody might latch onto something that somebody else cannot relate with. Somebody else might latch onto something that somebody else cannot relate with. I'm trying to restrain myself from talking. I'm not going to teach this thing tonight. I already know. I'll just take the responses. So you're going to have to come back next week for my own response. Everybody will come next week. My response. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to do this, this this week. But it's interesting how there's a lot of things that are coming forth already that are confirming. Or Is anybody getting clarity about this question? Anybody getting some level of clarity? There's some things that have been mentioned that are very key. Very key. Pastor Smith talks about relational experience of God. And that's very important. The balance I want to strike there tonight, I'm not teaching this thing, is... A lot of times we have concocted a version of God that suits our intellect and our convenience. You hear what I just said? A lot of times what you call an experience of God, God has nothing to do with it. I needed to say something to keep the room quiet. I think this worked. Do you know we can stay here and sing and get into a feverish tempo that you will feel your body, your soul leaving your body. And God is not involved. See what I mean? The church doesn't understand the power of music. Because music is a life force in itself. It's getting a bit rowdy. Are we, are we together? Am I in the more sessions? Music is a life force. That is why the spirit, there's something going on there. Can we have one church at the back? Chimanya and her disciples. There is something about the, the, the heart of the person who wrote a song or produced it that translates along with the form of music. So some of you listen to some forms of music and you feel like doing some things. Some of you listen to some form of music and you feel suicidal. Some people listen to music and they feel like running into it, into the road and let the car hit them from music. Some people listen to music and things happen to you that when it's done, you're like, I don't know what came over me. 
the enemy did not lose any of his power when he fell. I keep saying this over and over and over. Lucifer did not lose any ability when he fell. Any. So while he doesn't create anything, and therefore should not be created, so those of you that are going, oh, that music is music of the devil. There's no music of the devil. Hello? Hello? There is no such thing called demonic or devilish music. All music was from God and is to God and is for God. Because it came from him. Music has been as present as God has been present. Music was first heavenly, celestial, before it was terrestrial. Music was first eternal before it came into time. Are you understanding what I'm trying to say? So its power has not diminished. We can therefore stay here and work the spirit of music enough until we feel something and start falling under the anointing of music. Are you understanding what I am saying? So when these guys carry their machetes, behind what they are chanting kicks in. Are you following what I'm saying? That's what happened in 1st Kings 17 when the guys at the Mount Camel, the prophets of Baal and Ashtira were shouting and crying until they began to cut themselves and bleed. There was no presence, but there was a form of godliness. So we have to be careful that we don't equate the majesty of God with your experience. Because he's bigger than your experience. Can man experience God Yes. Does man experience God? Yes. But does your experience define God? No. Are we together? So you have to search beyond your experience to establish the reality of God. In fact, your experience should be based on your understanding of who he is. Of course, by faith. Because without faith, So it's interesting how it is not that you how does it how, how do I put it now? Because without he that must come to God must believe that he is. You must believe that he is to come. Not that you come so that you might believe. You believe and therefore you come. So your coming to God should be informed by your belief, your faith that he exists. Not that you came to church to find God. That's the problem we have in church. We have churched a lot of people who have no understanding of who God is. In fact, who have no faith in who he is. We are hoping that somehow in our serving church, we will find God. The room is quiet. A lot of you here are in church because somebody said, if you, if Jesus, if you go down tonight and you die, where will your soul end up? If Jesus comes back tonight, where will you be? Come back, come out now before it's too late. And so fear drove you to God, not love, not revelation. If you are such a person, you need to be born again, again. See, see what I mean? 
If you got born again out of fear, you do not know God. And then we come us and we bully you. Ha! A car will jam you as you go out now. And then you run and cower in fear. But none of you, most of you here who came out in fear had a conviction by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says when he, the Spirit of, of, of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness. So who convicts? The Holy Spirit. And so we come to church and we're hoping that somehow church will help us make sense of our decision at the altar call. Ah. Oh my Lord. Am I in the more sessions? Yeah, somehow you hope that believers foundation class, you know, baptismal class, discipleship training, you know, uh, LBC, BCC, you know, MSS, CNN, uh, will all, and then at the end of the day, you realize that the more you do that, the more you're searching. Do I have any witnesses in the room? If you be honest with yourself, you, you approach something, and at the end, you feel like your expectations have not been quite met. I've been there. I've been there. All the short courses, all the specials, all we have done it all. Imagine at the end of Paul's ministry, Paul is dying when he says that I may know him. I know of a man, whether in this free spirit or not in the spirit, I do not know, who was caught up into the third heavens and the things he heard and saw. My mouth cannot utter. That was Paul. Paul who came and said that you are saved by my gospel. So the gospel that saves you is not contained in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Hey, I was sharing with my wife this afternoon. I said, we don't understand that the gospel that we are saved by is not contained in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We are saved by Paul's gospel. Jesus came and everything Jesus says was predicated on the Old Testament. Jesus came to teach what will happen after he came, died, and gone. For where there is a testament, there must of necessity, Hebrews says, be a testator. And if there is a testator, the testator has to... Let me speak English for you. How many of you... And this is not a good thing. How many of you have lost a parent who left a will? Okay, there's one person. But how many of you know what a will is? A will is what a living person writes and ratifies, releasing all or a portion of his inheritance to you, right? But that will doesn't take effect until the willer dies. That will is what is called a testament. So Hebrews says, where there is a testament, a will, there has to be of necessity a testator, somebody who ratified the will. That's what that scripture means. Are you with me? And for that testament or that will to kick in, the person that wrote to with the will has to die. So Jesus came, wrote the will of God for your life, sealed it by his blood, but for that will to be effected in your life, he who wrote the will had to die. Oh, only eight people are getting what I'm saying. Because if Jesus stayed alive, that testament will not have come into effect in your life. So in order to violate, not to violate the laws of life, the testator dies. But so that the 
the person who administers the estate will not come and cheat you out of your portion of the testament. He died, the, the testament kicked in, and then he rose up to administer it himself. His rising does not annul the testament. It actually ratifies it into existence. It is on the basis of that understanding that you come to God as a child of God saved. So your salvation, that's what, that, that's the English of what Pastor Elvis meant when he said, how many of you understand the mechanism of the working of you getting born again? That's what he meant. It is not so much as the day, the week, the month, and the year you got saved. As much as it is the experience that led you to get saved. Are you with me? So stop glorying in the day you walked up those steps to answer that altar call. Auntie, that was not when you got saved. Some of you got born again or so you thought, but until you had an encounter with God, by heaven's record, when you got born again, is different from when you think you got born again. If you are born again. <laughs> Let me say this to someone. Why are we even doing this born again stuff? Is it helping anybody? If you are born again, you will never doubt your salvation. If you doubt your salvation, you need to get born again. Not again. You are not born again. If you are born again, it, it is a once in a lifetime rebirth. You know your, you, you know, you know that you died and you were born again. You know. That's why some of you answer altar call every time a revival preacher comes to your church. Talk to me now. Every time somebody comes, makes altar call, you're like, ha! Now, wow. If I die today. Saul was riding his donkey to Damascus. A light hit him, he fell. He never met God before. He said, who are you, Lord? And somebody who has never met God before see him at his first encounter and said, who are you, Lord? What are you trying to reveal to me? You've got me. Jacob slept and woke up and called the place. Bethel. God was here. Did not move. Built an altar. Came back. Renamed the place. El Bethel. The God of the house of God. First time he called it Bethel. House of God, because he saw angels ascending and descending, came back, encountered God again, called it El. First time he met the encounter, second time he met the God of the encounter. First time he called it Bethel, second time he called it El Bethel, the first time he met the house of God, where God's presence was. Second time he met the God of the house of God. It's not good enough for you to come to the house of God. You have to meet the God of the house. I'm not teaching yet. Next week. Let's hear a response. Another 10 minutes. Is anybody getting anything? My very own, very dear sister. 
Dr. Mama Sibasi. Please make her welcome as she comes to give her response. And then we'll close for today. And we'll pick this up next week. Can we continue this next week? Praise the Lord. Um, he talked about sharing our thoughts and, you know, the musings in our, I say, in our hearts. Um, you know, sometimes you ask the question in a place like this. What you're thinking is, what is that right answer that they've set me up to miss? Does that make sense? How many of us thought there was a particular right answer that Pav was looking for last week? Okay. Be honest. Be honest. Be honest. Okay, fantastic. Now, this is what happens in church. It's, your answer is more important than Pav's answer. Does that make sense? Watch. Your answer is more important. And it's not about right or wrong. Sometimes... You know, we, we were there trying to um, talk about how, how do we minister to somebody who doesn't even believe in Jesus? I mean, he doesn't care. So you tell him, Jesus died for you. I mean, who cares? It doesn't make sense, right? And we struggled so much to explain that. Right? Now, why, did, why was that question necessary? I think it was necessary because if we answer it, it would change our narrative. If you answer it, it will change how you minister to people. So if you go home and think about it, and, say, and then answer it correctly, there's a way you'll stop doing evangelism or talking to people about God. Does that make sense? Okay, so the question is, usually, I don't know about you, but um, it, it's my, I can't talk beyond my experience. Does that make sense? So if you want to answer that, you should be thinking, what was my experience? I'd like you to follow the spirit of what I'm saying because sometimes we get stuck with words and we're saying, oh, but Pat didn't say, said this was not this. Just follow the spirit of what I'm saying. I'm going to start lunch with a, a, a scripture that he used, which was Paul. Paul is riding there going to do his usual ministry and he encounters God. And like he says, it is so undeniable that he didn't need special classes to tell him that that was God. Does that make sense? Now, um, sometimes too, we get bogged with trying to determine how do I answer science. We need to keep something in mind. That science is the one who plays catch-up, not the reverse. Do you understand? So, sometimes we're thinking, for it to make sense, then we need to go study what science says. And then be scientific enough to prove that God is okay. What if that aspect you're trying to prove, science hasn't discovered it? Then you're stranded. So Jesus says to his disciples, he says, um, who do they say I am? And they say, some say Elijah, some say John the Baptist and all of that. And it's okay. But Jesus that day is more interested in who do you say I am? Why? Because if he's going to leave the weight of the responsibility on your shoulders, then it is important what your, your answer is. Okay? So he says, okay, after all said and done, who do you say I am? Because that is the foundation upon which you build it. And inevitably, that brings you back to your experience. Now, I'm using the word experience here loosely. It's like you ask somebody, how do you know it is, um, you come and ask me, how do you know uh, children come out through 
you know, where they normally come out from. I don't need science to tell you that because I gave birth to some. Does that make sense? So it is an undeniable thing to me. One of my, let, let's, I don't know if you can just put up scripture, First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 5, First Thessalonians 1, 5. Let's, let's take a look at certain uh, principles, just the, the thoughts that were coming to me. First Thess- okay, he says, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit. No, I don't like this version. Which, no, no, please. Can I have NIV message? No, no, sorry. Amplified? Okay, great. Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, with deep conviction. Okay? And you know how we lived among you. So in presenting his defense of presenting to your gospel, there was the words, the words of it. There was the accompanying power of it. And the whole idea was that it would produce deep conviction. And then there was the lifestyle aspect of it. Meaning, you know what? I tell a lot of stuff. Notice I spoke stuff to you. And notice it came with power. And notice I'm living the life. Does that make sense? So, um, and then Paul, by the way, was number one apologetic, so to speak. In fact, that was the grace upon his life. Paul carried the grace to be able... I mean, the guy was so... Um, schooled in many things that he had what it, what it, what it took to confront the experts, the, the ones, the Greeks who loved philosophy, the Jews who had their own thing they believed in. I mean, he could fit in any shoes. And you would notice, like he said, if he went to, um, the Jews, for example, he would reason with them and say, you know what, guys, Look at this Old Testament scripture. Look at that Old Testament scripture. Check it out. Did you see it came to pass? Meaning you couldn't afford to go ignorant and start telling stories about Jesus. He was talking to people who were holding something very dear to them. So he needed to use what they were holding to bring them to Jesus. And since they believed so much in what the prophets and the Old Testament said, he would take it systematically because he was a learned fellow. And dissect that to show them that, have you seen consistently that this is true? Okay? If he went to the Gentiles, for example, in Ephesus, he was, um, where they had this riot, the goddess, the Artemis or something. He also used their philosophical thinking to get to them. Okay? Now, you will notice something. In each of those instances, some people will say, okay... And there will still be some people who will snare at him. Does that make sense? So, why am I saying this? Um, you're not deficient. Bob says in Isaiah 20, I think it's 29, 11. He talked about, he said these words, they're like words in a scroll, sealed. You take it to the learned. And he says, it's sealed. I cannot, I cannot read it. Then you go to the illiterate. And he says, I'm sorry, I don't read. Does that make sense? That's how the word is. Or that's how the things of God are, they don't open to your intellect necessarily, and they don't, your illiteracy sometimes is not what disadvantaged you. So the question is, as much as being able, and yet, he tells us, be ready to give a defense. Okay? In other words, don't be ignorant. Be ready to give a defense. Now, when you're giving a defense, there there must be, you know, sometimes we try to give a defense with a missing link. Are you with me? 
you give a defense with a missing link. There is no defense in whatever form, whether you're scientific or whether you're just an ignorant fellow who has experienced the power of the Spirit. There is no defense you can give that if it is without that missing link, the Holy Ghost would make sense. Does that make sense? You can't give a defense effectively and live out because the Holy Spirit is the connector between, you know, what, why do you use, try to use intellectual exercises? It's because you want to render the person that is intellectual inexcusable. Right? So you want to destroy the intellectual arguments. But you see, because of the way the word or the things of God are, there are people who you have dismantled it intellectually. It is no guarantee that they will accept your faith. Does that make sense? Aha. Uh -huh. So, um, because consistently the Bible shows Paul as giving good arguments. This is what a good argument does. A good argument causes the person to turn back and take a second look. And in taking a second look, the Holy Spirit comes in and does something. Let's look at Moses. He's there. The bush is burning. It's crazy because when bush burns, I mean, at least the leaves should burn. Now, what catches his attention is the fact that the leaves aren't burning. Are you with me? But that's not the encounter. He turns to look and then he has the encounter. Are you with me? So oftentimes, what we, what we attempt to do in even trying to make a defense is to get people to turn to look. If their problem is the intellect, you dismantle the intellect. If their problem is something else, you deal with that something else as the Holy Spirit gives you wisdom. But you must understand that the person that comes in and makes it undeniable, because ultimately, if you say, I'm sure God exists, it means you're saying, but the evidence available to me is undeniable. Undeniability is the sole perspective of the Holy Ghost. What do I mean? We have a saying in medicine. We say, somebody who has you know, urinary retention, a man has enlarged prostate. Do you know what it is not to be able to urinate for one week? You would go crazy. Because your bladder can only expand so much. And the idea is that every time your bladder expands to a particular volume of fluid, then the urge comes, and then you void, and you feel very relieved. Some people can't even hold their bladders from here to, maybe you're traveling to Abuja, right? Then imagine a man who for five days cannot, cannot void. He's almost going crazy. It's described as a surgical emergency, meaning that when he comes, the common saying is that you don't evangelize a man with urinary retention. Right? The guy is almost going crazy. That's not the time to about one man called Jesus who came and died for him. He'll just slap you or something. It doesn't make sense. So the question was, since he still needs Christ, that's the question I asked. Exactly what do you do? Because he needs Christ just as much as every other person. Now what if you showed him the Jesus that releases, relieves urinary retention? Because at that point, that's the revelation that he needs to, 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 to. So if you walked up to him and said to him, receive or whatever he wanted, and he knew you were coming in the authority of that name, and all of a sudden, something he couldn't do for one week happens. What's going to happen? He's going to t turn around and pay attention, right? Okay, how about people that you just said, 
you know, Jesus is the answer. Have you heard some people's crazy testimonies? I was passing one place. I wasn't listening to them. I, I didn't know what was happening. But I heard this thing over the mic. And that word stayed with me. And when I went home, I just found I couldn't sleep. And I broke down. And I just invited the Lord or whatever. Have you heard those kind of stories? Does it make intellectual sense? But yet, there was undeniability. Do you understand? It is the undeniability factor that is critical. Okay? Or sometimes they ask Jesus a question and then Jesus answers them. And the Bible says, you know what? After that day, nobody asked him any question. Again, they shut them out. What happened? At that point, there was an answer. So, you know, sometimes when we say experience, um, Christians, experience means, you know, I was just sitting and I had a surreal experience and bright lights and I heard a voice. Experience, conviction is an experience. Does that make sense? Conviction is an experience. That's what happened to Paul. Paul, if you ask Paul, do you know this man? Paul will say, yes, I know this man. What happened? What happened? By what means did he know that man? I've, I've been asked when, okay, I'll soon be rounding up. <laughs> you know, um, I remember once, you know, where I used to be, I was asked to teach about prayer. You know, sometimes, you know, people teach prayer as methods. And they tell you, um, when you want to pray, you first do this for five minutes, then you do this for ten minutes, then you break into tongues, then you do this, you do this. How many people know that kind of thing? So prayer is a, is something that is methodological. And then if you are born and bred on that, then chances are if you want to teach somebody prayer, that's how you do it. But I came to a point where I felt like a fraud because my experience of prayer was different. Do you understand? So I realized that I had to ask myself, what do you know about prayer? And I found out that what I knew about prayer had to do with what had, you know, what had, what I had experienced, what had worked for me, what was undeniable for me. And if that was undeniable for me, then I couldn't teach prayer the way I was teaching it. Because I was 419ing the person, even though that is how I was taught to teach it. You know how, like you said, we carry, we, you know, Pam asked the question last week. And he talked about old tongues. And then, you know, it sets me thinking. You know, there's some areas you don't want to go. Many times in your life, you've had to go there. But religion pulls you back. Because you're afraid to question it. Because if you question it and you dismantle it, you may have to dismantle other things in your life. Does that, does that make sense? Sometimes the fear is, I've built too much around this thing. Even though I'm beginning to question it, let me not go there. The simple truth is that if you're going to make authentic progress, you need to question it. You need to dismantle it, or at least question it to a logical conclusion, and if need be, dismantle it, because until you dismantle it, you don't get into the reality of the experience. So how do you know God exists? You should be asking. We should be asking, how did I happen by this assurance? How did I know? And oftentimes, it would be because of a tangible, you know, she said, God is relational. You know, when you reach the point where you know that if he doesn't show up for you, eh, you are done. Where there is nobody to boost the atmosphere for you. The, it's not a more session day where you can feel spiritual. Then you decide if you truly believed. And then perhaps he also uses that to push you into a corner because he's seeking to show you himself. And then you come out of that experience and it's undeniable. 
So I feel that I don't know what answers, you know, Pat has. I, I just feel that essentially, <laughs> essentially, um, it, it, you know him by experience, but not, when I say experience, like it's not, oh, you know, I was sleeping and I saw an angel. You proved him. You proved him. Okay. <laughs> you proved him. Sometimes we're afraid to prove God because they've told us that that means you don't have faith. So if you've proved him, the, the songwriter says, Jesus, Jesus, how I love you, how I proved you over and over. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to love you. Let's take it again. Jesus, Jesus, how I love you, how I've proved you over and over. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to love you. It says, teach so sweet. To trust in Jesus and to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise. To know. Yeah, it says if you hear the word, then you can, if, if you even know what he's saying to you, then you're blessed. Amen. I appreciate Dr. Bassi, everyone. Okay, so we're closing. How many of you caught something from that? All right. It's, it's, it's a heavy dose tonight, isn't it? So I want to leave you quickly with one more question. And then next week we'll answer that question and wrap up this question. Is that all right? Is that all right? That's, this is a good way to be a Christian. Not you leave, oh, I was blessed, I was blessed, I was blessed. You should leave with something that keeps you contemplating and keeps you searching the word until the next time. That's what adds value to your Christian life. Are you listening to what I mean? So how do we know that God exists? The one answer that I will leave you with for today, which some of you have mentioned, not, not as clearly as I would have liked, but the answer to this question, or the first answer to this question, generates in itself the next question. And I want to leave you with questions tonight, not with answers. Is that all right? Okay, so first, before we go ahead, let me say this. Any answer to the question must have its source in God. Any answer to the question about the existence of God for it to be sufficient enough to explain the existence of God, it must spring from God. Only God can explain himself. Oh, are there people in this room? <laughs> God is self-revealing. God does not need anything external or extra to reveal him. God reveals himself. Let me correct myself. God revealed himself. So, Romans 1.20 From the beginning, creation in his magnificence enlightens us to his nature. This is the voice translation. I love this translation. Creation itself makes his undying power and divine identity clear. King James says from the beginning, his invisible attributes, his divine power and his nature are clearly evidenced in the things that are seen. So that men 
next slide on the voice. Next slide. Even though they are invisible, and it voids the excuses and ignorant claims of these people. <laughs> Did anybody catch this translation of scripture? This is straight from your Bible. From the beginning, creation in his magnificence enlightens us to the nature of God. Creation itself makes God's undying power and divine identity clear, even though they are invisible. And it voids or it throws away the excuses and ignorant claims of this book. So God is revealed. Can we say God is revealed? Can we say God is revealed? Can we say God is revealed? God is self-proven. God proves himself. God has proved himself. God will continue to prove himself. God is self-proven. I'm going somewhere. It's five minutes. I, I, I meant it. Five Christian minutes. Okay. God is self-proven. God is, Pastor Elvis, as revealed as he is hidden. <laughs> God is hidden in plain view. How else do we say hearing? They do not hear seeing. They do not see. God is as revealed as he is hidden. This is where I'm going to. This is where I want to leave you tonight. How do we know that God exists? The first and most important answer is because, can we shout it out? One, two, go. How many of us believe the word says God exists? Come on. The word. I'll show you next week. There's numerous scriptures. God is, is asserting that he is God. In Exodus 3, Moses has the same burning bush. He asks them, asks, asks the person he met or the being he met, who will I tell them? I've heard all you have said, oh. You have turned my leprosy to whatever and whatever to whatever. My snake to rod, my rod to snake. No problem. I've seen the bush burning. The bush is not burning. <laughs> no, no problem. I'm not in doubt of what I have seen. Yeah? But who will I tell them sent me? And God beat his hand on his chest. And he said, tell them I is that I is. Going back to re relational, God says, I am who I am. Go and tell them what you saw. John sent disciples to Jesus from jail. Are, are you the Messiah? Or should we expect another? Jesus kept them for a few moments. Allowed them to watch him heal some blind eyes, heal some sick people, make some lame to walk in. I said, now you, go and tell them what you saw. The word establishes the deity of God. The question that then arises from this, which I want you to think about for next week, is how do we know that this word is true? How can I depend upon your Bible? Because to take away the word and what it says about Christ and God is to doubt the reality of God. 
Because God is as revealed in his word. How do we know that this is his word? Anybody have an answer? You bring it next week. <laughs> How many of you like this? How do we know? And that first I've titled that the biblical conviction. I'll show you five convictions that you can hold on to to establish the reality of God for yourself. Because don't forget what I said earlier, Hebrews 11.6. He that must come to God must believe that God exists. It takes you knowing that God exists to come to him. Not you coming to him to find out whether or not he exists. That's why church is full of people who don't have any encounter with God. Are you following what I'm saying? Believing that he exists is the basis for coming to him. Because the father draws them, John 6. So the word says he exists. In the Old Testament, in fact, in the entire Bible, there are over 3,800 times where you see the Bible says, and the Lord said, Paul says the Lord, and the word of the Lord came. I've just given you a clue. How do you know that that word is true? And please don't tell me because it's King James Version. Next week, we'll deal with this so you get to understand how to depend on God's word. Because imagine how much God sticks on his word. He says, heaven and earth will pass away but his word. For he has exalted his word above his name. So if the name does what it does, imagine what the word can do. I'll leave you with that. Rest of your feet tonight. So much to think about. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening, and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.